Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hour two getting underway here. Curtis Rogers with you, joined by Mike Lefko filling in for Taylor Jacobs today. Always a pleasure to have Mike along with us. Let's take a look at the college football scoreboard early action today on this Saturday. The big one that everybody's got their eye on, or at least they had their eye on to start today, that would be number four Ohio State hosting number seven Michigan State. That game over in a hurry. 49 nothing at halftime. Ohio State was up. It's 49-7 with 13 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. The Buckeyes absolutely rolling on Michigan State right now. C.J. Stroud with a perfect day, nearly perfect day at quarterback. 32 of 35, 432 yards and six touchdowns thrown. Uh, the horseshoe is partying right now in Columbus, Ohio. Mike, when you look at that score, I have a hard time seeing Ohio State sticking at number four in next week's college football playoff. I think they uh, they might leapfrog the Ducks, even though the Ducks have that head-to-head win. Well, that's okay. You just have to be in the top four. So if Oregon's fourth, then, and then good for them. But isn't it funny that college football often boils down to when you play a team? Like, does anyone think Oregon would beat Ohio State right now with the way Ohio State has looked in the past two or three weeks? But that win is carrying the torch for the conference. And because of that win, as long as Oregon doesn't get tripped up, which they could, this is a tough game at Utah today, if Oregon keeps winning, they will be in because of that win over Ohio State. So it's just kind of when you play people. And most of these big non-conference games happen early on in the season, and then teams are markedly different. But Oregon has done enough right now to, uh, to get in the conversation because of that win over Ohio State. And I remember during that game, everyone was questioning C.J. Stroud. Oh, is he the answer? You have this hot shot quarterback that came in early. Maybe Stroud's going to get displaced. And now this guy looks like one of the most solid quarterbacks in the country over the last couple of weeks. And Oregon, I don't think they have the firepower anymore to compete with Ohio State. But as long as they keep winning, they're in. So, hey, good for the Pac-12. It could be worse, Curtis. It could be the ACC right now. <laughs> That's true. With uh, Wake Forest, the banner school right now in the ACC. Who saw that coming this season? Ranked number 10 in the country, but they are getting smoked right now by Clemson. 38-19 in the fourth quarter. It was 38-10 to I believe 10 a little bit ago, so Wake Forest making it a little more respectable. But Clemson unranked, which I don't know who saw that coming either, but uh, Wake Forest, the one hope for the ACC this season, they're not going to be uh, crashing the college football playoff party. Uh, had they won out, which they're probably not going to win out today, is they've got way too much ground to make up and too little time to do so. Uh, yeah, I mean, who would have thought that the Pac-12 wasn't going to be the fifth best Power 5 conference this year, the ACC giving them a run for their money? Lock it up right now. That's the marketing slogan for next football season. Not, not the fifth five. best college football conference. <laughs> well, a top four college football conference, the Pac-12. <laughs> We did it. We did it. Uh, getting back to that Oregon-Utah game later on tonight, or this afternoon, I should say, 4.30 p.m. on ABC. Salt Lake City, never an easy place to play for a road team. Uh, that Utes crowd, they get going. Uh, I mean, boy, Kyle Whittingham, you know what you're getting with him as a head coach. A, a very defensively sound team. And that Ducks team, like you said, Mike, their firepower, not necessarily what it once was early this season. I mean, Look, they were struggling with Washington for the majority of that game until Troy Dye kind of took it upon himself to 
run out the, the clock in that one, uh, having an incredible day against the Huskies. Uh, but, yeah, you mentioned the timing of each win. That's sort of an interesting point you bring up because before today, Michigan State had that win over Michigan later in the season, and yet the Wolverines were still ahead of them in the college football playoff. Uh, and obviously they're still going to be ahead of them right now unless Michigan slips up today, which I don't really see that happening when they play Maryland. Uh, but the timing of these wins just as big of a factor as just the wins themselves. You know what's funny? Who was it? Gary Barda? He's the head right of college football selection committee. He said they don't they don't look at head to head. We don't look at the games. <laughs> and then everyone's just like, well, what are we doing here? And this was the biggest point of contention with the BCS. It was a computer system. They used all these metrics and polls, and they didn't actually use the eye test. And now to have the member of the the head ranking member of the college football playoff committee say, uh, you know, Michigan State is behind Michigan because we don't look at the games. We don't watch head-to-head. Oh, okay, great. So cool. college that, football, that, what a fun mess this sport is. <laughs> that, that puts everybody at ease. That makes everybody feeling really good about what uh, what's going on with the college football playoff. Speaking of the college football playoff, let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, as we mentioned, the college football playoff top four unchanged from a week ago. Alabama and Georgia, those are your top two teams. Oregon and Ohio State round out the top four. You've got Michigan at number six. You've also got uh, Cincinnati at number five. It'll be interesting to see if the Bearcats can finally muster up enough to get into that top four. I don't know if they're going to be able to do so, but maybe – college football playoff reformation is what will help them dan patrick yesterday reporting that the committee could potentially expand next season to 12 teams but plenty of college football insiders brett mcmurphy nicole auerbach of the athletic debunked that saying that earliest expansion could happen in 2023 mike what would be the ideal playoff number of teams i think eight and i'm surprised that it hasn't expanded yet because this sport and most sports are about money. I mean, why did MLB expand their postseason? Why has the NFL added another team to the playoffs? One more game. You can bid on that. You can have people bid to televise it. There's more gate, more ticket revenue, everything you can get. It's a money game. So I'm shocked it hasn't expanded yet because the only ones saying, well, no, we shouldn't do it are, are the conference commissioners saying it'll dilute the playoff system. But if you get that money with those extra games, I, I think soon you'll see eight i don't know 12 seems like a lot right but maybe just get poor cincinnati in there so get it to eight because there's no way even if cincinnati finishes undefeated there's no way they're getting in it's just the the college football world has shown that if you're power if you're not power five you're not getting a chance to play for this national championship let's get to story number two number Number two. two In the NBA, the Golden State Warriors, they're back. They're coming for your souls, and its we're throwing it back to the years of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and all those teams, Draymond Green. And oh, by the way, they don't even have Klay Thompson back yet. They have an NBA best record, 14-2. and Steph Curry playing out of his mind, probably in the running for another MVP, at least early on here in the NBA season. Chicago Bulls out east, very surprising. Are they this year's Phoenix Suns team, uh, a team that has kind of come from nowhere, add a few veterans, and all of a sudden they're NBA Finals contenders? Mike, when you look at this NBA season early on, were you expecting the Warriors and Bulls to kind of be the flag wavers early on? Yeah, Warriors maybe. 
I mean, now that they're healthy, Steph Curry is showing why he's the most fun player in the league. Like, is there anyone that actually dislikes Steph Curry? You might be, I, you might be like a bitter Cavs fan who lost a few times to him, but I don't know how you can dislike Steph Curry. That guy's the most fun to watch. And I think when he's, he's when he's on, I mean, yeah, it, it's not too surprising that Golden State's good again because he makes everyone better. The Bulls, yeah, that, that, that's fun. That's a good little story. But I, I don't know if they're they're Phoenix Suns like yet because you remember it took. It took the Suns limping into, or, you know, it's kind of getting into the bubble and then getting hot. So it almost took them like a year plus to get there. And I still don't think the Bulls have the pieces that Phoenix had, that perfect complement of good inside guys and a Devin Booker-like guy. Story number three. Number three. More Major League Baseball awards handed out this week in addition to Manager of the Year. You've got the MVPs and the Cy Young Award winners. The MVPs, at least in the American League, probably not a surprise. Shohei Otani, with his historic season, takes home the MVP award in the American League. In the National League, Bryce Harper wins his second MVP of his career. Uh, Two guys that we are very lucky we get to watch day in and day out in Major League Baseball. And the Cy Young Awards... You got Robbie Ray of the Toronto Blue Jays and Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers, both guys winning those awards after not really throwing a ton of innings this year. That was a bit of controversy after those awards were announced. A lot of people wondering if Zach Wheeler of the Phillies was robbed in the National League. Uh, You've got a couple other candidates. Garrett Cole in the American League was one of the finalists. Mike, when you look at the award winners this year in Major League Baseball, I have a hard time thinking that anybody got robbed here yeah these look good these make sense it, it, it is kind of funny i mean they're, they're logical but they are they are logical but it's funny that for the mvp votes postseason was not a factor right yeah it's a season award but the fact that manager of the year hey look what was important winning the most games and getting into the playoffs and for uh, MVPs, it was just strictly, yeah, these guys were good. doesn't matter if their teams weren't good. So eh, maybe maybe give some more consideration to those scrappy Mariners next time. One of the crazy stats I saw this week was after Robbie Ray was awarded the Cy Young, the 2014 Detroit Tigers team had five different Cy Young Award winners on it. They had Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, David Price, Rick Porcello, and Robbie Ray all Ooh. on their team. And they did not win the World Series that year. They didn't year. do anything they, that year. They really didn't do anything. Uh, but it, I believe that is the first time in history a team has had that many Cy Young Award winners on it. Obviously, the, most of those coming after the 2014 season, especially with Robbie Ray winning it this year. Max Scherzer, I think, has won a couple ever you know since leaving the Tigers. But five different Cy Young Award winners on that team. Uh, an embarrassment of riches that unfortunately they didn't really do anything with there in Detroit. So well, good for uh, Robbie is, Ray. I hope he can afford yeah. some uh, pants that fit now. <laughs> I'm well. He's he's definitely in line for a payday. <laughs> I would not mind seeing his tight pants here in Seattle. That would be uh, a nice little addition to the Mariners' pitching staff. Robbie Ray in line for a very nice payday, winning a Cy Young Award in a contract year. That's going to get you. A lot of money in your bank account. That is this hour's Big Three. Coming up next, we take a trip around the NFL, look at some of the biggest headlines heading into Week 11. He's Mike Lefko. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 
taking a trip around the NFL here, heading into week 11. He's Mike Lefko. I'm Curtis Rogers. This makes Khalil me think Mack. John Clayton's coming on. Is oh, this the yeah? music we play when he comes on during the week? Oh, nice. Well, he's not, though. I don't think he is. <laughs> he just, he, he already had his yeah, time. He had his morning. fun. He's got to. He's got to rest up for tomorrow's Seahawks game. He'll be on the sidelines for that. But uh, big story in Chicago this week, Khalil Mack out for the season. you got to wonder if that's the final time we'll see Khalil Mack in a Bears uniform. I believe they can save a considerable amount of money this offseason by cutting him. I think it's like in the $17, $18 million range, which, I mean, Mack is not getting any younger. Injuries becoming a concern. What is interesting about this, though, is that with Mac being sidelined for the rest of the season, the Bears have dipped into that former Seahawk pool once again. They already have Cassius Marsh on the roster. They signed Bruce Irvin, Seahawks fan favorite around here. He played for the Seahawks a year ago, giving it one last go after it kind of looked like Bruce Irvin was leaning towards retirement, but the Bears call Bruce Irvin is back. Mike, when you look at Khalil Mack as uh, you know whether or not he would be if he does enter the free agent market next year i wonder what his market would look like is he i don't necessarily think he's on that top flight of pass rushers anymore still very serviceable kind of maybe in that von miller range of guys who used to be amazing still very good but not necessarily the the best of the best yeah i don't think if you're a team that needs an overwhelming number one pass rusher you go with him but he would be a great complimentary piece if you have an established defensive line or if you have one of those game wreckers on your defense throwing khalil Mack, kind of like the cardinals do with jj watt before he got hurt jj watt coming in really helped out and just kind of strengthened a good core they had but you're not going to look at him anymore as a guy that's the immediate fix so it's interesting and, and you're right Curtis the Bears are certainly you know on the downward cycle they're they're in rebuilding mode now with a rookie quarterback so yeah he's probably gone after this season which is which is strange because that was one of the funnier trades when when the Raiders just you know just got rid of him just nah, nah, <laughs> yeah, didn't take him they're, they're just like hey you know what we don't need him they got they got a couple of first round picks in return for him I think was Jonathan Jacobs one of the picks that they made? He, I, Josh Jacobs. Yeah, Josh yeah, Jacobs, yeah I think I so. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, it wasn't all bad for him. But still, I mean, boy, that trade still kind of head-scratching. Neither team really did much of anything after that trade. The Bears did make the playoffs that one year thanks to uh, Cody Parkey's double doink against the Eagles. Ah, they were kind of good that year, too, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, also in the NFL, a couple of COVID updates. Big Ben Roethlisberger activated off the COVID reserve list this morning. He will play for the Steelers this weekend. But Dallas's Amari Cooper will miss the next two games after testing positive. Uh, the Cowboys take on the Chiefs tomorrow in a very, very intriguing matchup. Uh, the Chiefs sort of right in that ship here over the last couple of weeks. Patrick Mahomes with that incredible performance on Sunday Night Football last week. You look at that Cowboys-Chiefs game, Mike, how much will Amari Cooper's loss impact that game? Do you think Dallas will have a much harder time of it, or is Dak Prescott just playing at a level right now where he can't be he can't be stopped? I think they have enough weapons. I mean, they have C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup is back, they have Dak Prescott back. They're very good on offense, even without Amari Cooper. And the Chiefs' defense is, well, they're soft. They, they allow any receiver to get open, so I don't know if it'll be that much of an issue. But what, what is interesting, what could be an issue – now, what have we seen over the past few weeks? Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Amari Cooper all have to miss games because of COVID-related illnesses. So 
what happens if this is a must-win game down the stretch and you see a star out? That, that was the big discussion last year, right? And the NFL was so careful about rescheduling games and players were very disciplined about not missing key games. But now it seems like it's kind of popping up in force. What if one of these guys, what if Amari Cooper has to miss a playoff game? Or what if someone down the road is out for a playoff game? Like Lamar Jackson seems like he gets COVID every week. So what if he misses a playoff game and all of a sudden that becomes a major issue? That that would be the concern, I think, moving forward. Well, the NFL, I know, has increased their testing intervals this time of year, and I think they have also recommended to players uh, to not have big gatherings for Thanksgiving uh, at their homes uh, to sort of combat any sort of potential for testing positive for COVID. You mentioned Lamar Jackson this morning. The Ravens adding Lamar Jackson to the injury report with an undisclosed illness he's listed as questionable uh, it's said to not be COVID-related, but he's already had COVID twice. Yeah. Uh, in, like, <laughs> he, he's also been pretty adamant about his vaccination status and, and being unvaccinated. Uh, I'm not going to get into that conversation, but you mentioned he's already had it twice. Could he get it a third time? I've never heard of anybody getting it three times, but it's some a situation definitely worth monitoring here as the Ravens obviously rely so much on Lamar Jackson, and he's been great this year. Uh, but like you said, you'd think with the importance of the games increasing as the season goes along here, these guys might take uh, might take these precautions a little more seriously. It's a tough ask, though. I get it, especially around the holidays. And the NFL has been so strict in their regulations and their enforcement because a lot's on the line. You know, there's eyeballs, there's money, there, there are TV ratings on the line, but you're human. Right, you're going to want to see your family. You're going to want to see relatives over the holidays. So, it's a strange balance, and we'll see what happens. But it's definitely a tightrope that they have to walk in enforcing this and having players be responsible on their own. Also, in the NFL, we get a reunion of sorts tomorrow between Carolina and Washington. A reunion that I don't think had as big of its importance a couple weeks ago, but that was before Carolina made the decision to bring back Cam Newton who looks like he will be the starting quarterback tomorrow for the Panthers. Maybe P.J. Walker will get some play too. But Cam Newton, Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington football team, those guys were together for so long in Carolina. Tomorrow we get to see them on opposite sidelines. Mike, when you look at that Carolina team, last week they just blow the doors off of the Cardinals in Glendale. When I looked at that Carolina team last week, just watching that game kind of on a second monitor with the Seahawks game also going on at the same time, they looked like they got some extra juice with Cam Newton back in the, back on that roster. Well, and Christian McCaffrey, and that's what's True. concerning, is that you now have what well, we think a, a healthy Christian McCaffrey, certainly a guy that made an impact in that game. And Cam Newton bringing the swagger, as he said uh, last week, they asked him, how much of the playbook did you know? And he said two touchdowns worth. So he did well. Uh, we'll see how much of the playbook he actually knows this week. But they are a team to now be concerned about because they were up there above the Seahawks in the standings. The thought was, ah, this is a flash in the pan. Most of that built on that 3-0 and record that was shown to be a fallacy. Now they're sitting there at 5-5 five and five and significantly better than they were a couple weeks ago. So that's a team that, you know, our expectations are the Seahawks. They have teams in front of them they can catch. Well, I don't know now if the Panthers are, are a lot better. That might be a team they can't catch, and you're hoping that then the Saints start to tumble because Christian McCaffrey and Cam Newton give that offense a hugely different dynamic than they had. 
Well, and they're 5-5 five and five in a division where Tampa Bay has just refused to run away with the South Crown, even though they are the most talented team in that division. They're the defending Super Bowl champions. They slip up last week against Washington, and all of a sudden now things are very much within reach for the Panthers and also for the Saints. Uh, who knows how that one's going to finish out. I still like the Bucks to be the division winners in the NFC South, but right now... It is still very much up for grabs for all three of those teams. Obviously, Atlanta, I, I don't have any faith in them oh, Atlanta. being able to rectify their season. They look so, so bad. Let, me, let me tell you something. If you want to have a successful fantasy football week, pick the defense that's playing the Falcons. Because last week, the Cowboys defense got 27 points. I had them. Thank you very much. And then this week, going up against the Patriots, oh, it was bad. 30-plus fantasy points to the Patriots just shutting down the Falcons. It was uh, it was a brutal look for the Falcons. And what's interesting about them is that they hired former Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith to be their head coach this this season, and their offense has not improved. It's gotten worse, and maybe that's due to trading Julio Jones. But man, the Falcons that looks like a team that just desperately needs to hit the reset button. Matt Ryan not getting any younger. He's still a good quarterback. I think if you put a good team around Matt Ryan. He can still perform at a high level. Maybe you do a trade with him like the Lions did with Matthew Stafford this last season. But, boy, that Falcons team looking really, really bad on Thursday night. And then finally, uh, the Titans. They've won, what, six in a row? They're eight and two. They have a loss to the Jets this season. But, look, they have been the best team in the league, at least in my opinion, over the last month and a half here. Mike, you... You are actually a Titans fan. Does it concern I am. you Welcome. that the Titans are getting this kind of pub right now as potentially the best team in the league? Well, I feel like I innately know their flaws better than anyone else, or better than people who certainly aren't Titans fans. So I just don't see how this is sustainable. But every week they've surprised me because they, they are winning ugly. Without Derrick Henry, I was shocked that they, they beat the Rams and then they, they continued to win. But... You know, the defense has picked it up, and the defense was such a bad part of their team early on in the season and last year. I think the rest of their schedule is easy enough that they're going to cruise through a division crown. I don't think they're the best team in the NFL right now because they're still so limited offensively. They've gotten it done the last couple of weeks because of their defense that's led to short field, led to defensive touchdowns, and without Henry, they're just missing a huge aspect. And by the way, Julio Jones out for the year. I mean, this guy is just always hurt. Like, they're not getting anything with Julio Jones. Or he's on IR. He's not out for the year. He's on IR, so it's at least three weeks. But, yeah, a lot of, a lot of big pieces missing. So, I, I don't know. The Cardinals, I might look at as, when they're healthy, maybe the best in the league still. Just just as we all suspected. The yes. Titans-Cardinals Super Bowl. That Oof. would uh, that Lowest would ratings ever. Too. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Those are some of the biggest headlines in the NFL going into Week 11. When we return, Sunday is absolutely a must-win game. For the Seahawks, we'll tell you why next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Quick update on the Huskies as they travel to Colorado. That game underway, the first quarter nearing an end. Washington with the ball down 3 nothing. 
but they have the ball deep in Colorado territory. It's first and goal on the Buffalo's three-yard line. Dylan Morris getting the start for Washington. He's 6 of 7 on the opening drive for 77 yards. So we'll keep you updated as long as we're, uh, or at least over the rest of our show here, which has about a half hour left. By the way, we've got shout-outs coming your way in 15 minutes from now. Text yours in to the Mac and Jacks text line, 206-421-3776. We'll read them on the air. That's how we wrap up every single Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. I was getting stressed, too. Yeah. I thought of some good ones, I think. So I'm that excited. That was the majority ready to, ready of our show prep today. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, was Mike trying to find somebody or something to shout out? I mean, look, we talked about it leading off the show. It's been a rough go of it here. Yeah, right. No, no easy shout-outs here in Seattle, so it was no, tough to think of one. But we're going to do our best here in about 10 to 15 minutes from now. But this Seahawks game tomorrow against the Arizona Cardinals, you could not have a more important game this at this point in the season, at this juncture in the season. Really, Seattle's playoff lives are on the line. I believe 538 has the Seahawks' current playoff odds at about 23%. If they lose on Sunday, it drops down to 8%. So the book could be written on the Seahawks season depending on what happens tomorrow against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, you, obviously every game is a must-win, but the emphasis on must-win I think is a lot louder tomorrow than it has been at any point in this season because at 3-7, and seven, you leave yourself with hardly any wiggle room with seven games to go in a 17 game schedule. You're probably going to need to finish with at least 10 or 11 wins. You can't even finish with 11 wins if you have seven losses. So you kind of have to win out if you do drop tomorrow in hopes of getting to that 10 and seven record. But Mike, when you look at tomorrow's game, what gives you the most hope that the Seahawks can pull it off and, and, get back to four and six on the season Uh, a few things and I think one is that you have Russell Wilson back for a second straight game so that rust and that just unsureness the strange this is unfamiliar of Russell Wilson being back in a situation where he had that long of a layoff that's gone so erase the rust put in Russ and now he's back to playing within rhythm he's familiar out there uh you know if he's if he's actually being honest that the finger wasn't an issue and it really was just not being back in the timing and the rhythm of being in a game environment back into rhythm there. So that's one thing. And of course that look, the, the other team that you're lining up against could be without two of their best offensive weapons. We know, no Deandre Hopkins. And if you take out Kyler Murray, I don't care that Colt McCoy has done very well against the Seahawks. Colt McCoy, you put him in there. That's fine. I'll take Colt McCoy any day of the week against the Seahawks. Yes, even though he has beaten them and has had a lot of success against Seattle. Colt McCoy over Kyler Murray? Absolutely. So if you have Kyler Murray in there, that means he's playing with a banged-up ankle. He doesn't have his best receiver. And this is a game that, you mentioned it, Curtis, there is that desperation that has started to sink in for the Seahawks. But that can be a good thing. Desperate teams back against the wall, they can come out with their most emphatic, fired up, and passionate performance. So all of those factors give me the hope that this might be the game that they can do it. And yeah, it's it's going to probably have to be the game you have to do it. Well, and as we've seen with this Seahawks team, through the course of Pete Carroll and John Schneider and Russell Wilson's tenure together, when their backs are against the wall, that's that's when they tend to perform pretty well. I think Russell Wilson is a guy that kind of seeks out these moments uh, where he can prove everybody wrong. And look, we know what he's like at his very best. And 
I thought the point was made pretty well this week uh, when talking about how rusty he looked in that Packers game, making poor decisions. I forget who it was, but they said, like, this is probably the longest stretch Russell Wilson had ever gone in his life without throwing a football. It was like three weeks without th- – was it Mark Schlereth who said that? It may have yeah, been Yeah, and Schlereth. I think Russ alluded to that too when he first came back. He was like, yeah, I, I never not thrown for like two or three weeks, so to just get throwing again. So that, that has to be – I think we underestimated how much of a familiarity factor was missing with that. Uh, yeah, and there's nothing. There is absolutely nothing you can do to prepare for a football game that can replicate game speed. No matter how hard you practice in the week leading up to it, you're not going to go as hard as you do in games. That's just that. That's just how it is uh, with professional athletes, with any kind of athlete. You are not going to practice as hard as you play because you run the risk of you know injuring yourself a lot more if you do so. Uh, when that game speed hit Russ, you could tell that that is something he had not really accounted for in the three, four weeks he was off because – that Packers defense gave him a tremendous amount of fits on Sunday and everywhere Russ looked, there was just nothing there for him to do anything. Now he's got a week under his belt. He he knows what to do. He's looked at the film, probably knows what decisions he should be making in those situations. If they arise tomorrow, I don't, I don't think he can be any worse than he was against the Packers. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think that was maybe the worst we've seen Russ, which is interesting because Russ tends to have his worst performances against the Packers. I don't know what it is about them, but he just has never been able to figure them out, at least on the road. Heck, even at home. The NFC Championship game back in 2014, he threw the four picks early on in the game. Uh, he got a, a game they played against the Packers a couple seasons after that where they just got blown out at Lambeau Field. Uh, and then obviously last Sunday where they didn't even score a single point for the first time in Russell Wilson's career. Uh, so it's it's weird to see that kind of thing happen. But I think another thing, at least for me, Mike, that I'm hopeful of for the Seahawks is that their defense continues to build off of the performances that they've had. They only allowed 17 points to Aaron Rodgers. Now, Aaron Rodgers, he was he only had a day of prep in getting ready for the Seahawks, so maybe that factored into why Green Bay's offense also looked out of sorts. But it's, what, four games in a row now that the Seahawks' defense has looked like an NFL defense Maybe that continues, especially if Kyler Murray misses tomorrow's game. Yeah, the defense, that was the big test. Were they for real? There were some that were discounting it because, yeah, it was the Jaguars. And sure, that incremental progress was made each week, but they hadn't faced a caliber of team like the Packers. Then to go in there to do that against Aaron Rodgers, where I don't care if he's coming off a, a day of not being around. Yeah, we'll give him some some leeway because I'm sure he was rusty. But just to kind of back that up and get that confidence, I, I think they know Kyler Murray very well. They have seen him a lot. They are innately familiar with how he likes to play football and what to be kind of cognizant of. So I think they're ready to stop him, and especially if he is a little bit of a banged-up Kyler Murray, might not want to take off and run as much. So I don't think you have to worry about the defense, which is funny to say, right? Like, from the start of the year, (laughs) I don't think you have to worry about the defense. No, no, that wasn't the case. Now it's on the offense because we haven't mentioned this, but – Oh, yeah, the Cardinals are a top-five defense as well. So just like the Packers, they were very good. Well, the Cardinals' defense might be even better. So now you put it on the offense to say, all right, got to find a way to move the ball down the field and take advantage of those points when you get the chance. 
Oh, man. Just as I was feeling hopeful about this game, you have to go and drop that. Oh, sorry. I'll I'll turn it back around. All right. Here's what I think, Curtis, though. We have seen pretty much everyone in the NFC, except the Seahawks, get one of those wins where you're surprised. One of those, wow, they shouldn't have won that game. How did they do that? Whether it's the Vikings over the Cowboys, the Niners over the Rams, they just took it right to the Rams, or the Panthers last week over the Cardinals. Every team in this playoff race has gotten a win like that. Even bad teams, even the Falcons over the Saints and the Jets over the Titans. So if bad teams like that are winning, all right, the Seahawks are due, right? They're due a win that they're not supposed (laughs) to have won. I think that will be the win tomorrow because they just haven't had that yet. But then do we have to come to the realization that the Seahawks are lumped into that group of bad teams? I don't I don't want to ever think of them in that in that you, light, Well, you have to if they lose tomorrow. I, that's true. Yeah. Boy, when you put it like that, uh, boy, that's a that's a harsh reality. Speaking of bad football teams, the Huskies down 10 nothing <laughs> now. Uh, they were going in for a score and they fumbled the ball at the 8-yard line. Colorado scooped and scored. And now it's 10 nothing Colorado ahead of Washington at the end of the first quarter. Boy, if that's not the season kind of wrapped up into one play for the Huskies, uh, I mean, that just kind of speaks to where the, where the program is at right now, where this season is at. I think the Huskies want to end this season as quickly as possible. Just be done with this Colorado game, be done with the Apple Cup next week, and just kind of put their head down and, and hope that the next regime comes in and uh, gets this program back on track. Yeah, you know what? Or be spoiler for the Cougs in the Apple Cup and just say, all right, well, we're going to ruin all that momentum and uh, not get to the bowl like we thought. But isn't it? that's a be- beautiful about a rivalry game, right? Even if your season has been True. awful, if you spoil your rival's season and you get that win and all of a sudden at the end of the year you're the one holding the trophy, that, that's somewhat of a win. And that's what it comes down to. Like, look at the other way. Look at look at Michigan. All these good seasons they've had, and they can never beat Ohio State. And the <laughs> fan base is ready to riot and get rid of Jim Harbaugh because he just can't win the one game that matters. So sometimes it boils down to one game. And if the Huskies can win uh, on Friday, they will salvage a lot of that poor season and the, and the bad taste of the mouth that has gone on for Husky fans this year. And it's it's a game at home. It is at Husky mm-hmm. Stadium Friday night next week as they take on the Washington State Cougars. Look, the Huskies still have a shot at bowl eligibility. They got to really right the ship here against Colorado if they still want to to make it to a bowl game. Uh, it, I mean, obviously they'd be six and six, which is not the uh, sexy way to make a bowl game. But look, six wins is is six wins. It gets you bowl eligibility. It's what the Cougs have. I would imagine there are a lot of players in that Husky locker room that are still trying to play for a bowl game because, uh, I mean, look, they're competitive guys. They don't want to fold up this season in any way, shape, or form. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that Husky score as we continue on here on Seattle Sports Saturday. We'll get you our shout-outs. We'll read you yours. Text them in, 206-421-3776. That's how we wrap up every single Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports Saturday. We wrap every episode every week here of Seattle Sports Saturday with shout outs. He's Mike Lefko filling in for Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. 
Text yours in to the Mac and Jacks text line, 206-421-3776. By the way, if you missed any of today's show, you can download the podcast, 710sports.com, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Every hour of every show on 710 is available for you at 710sports.com. Shout-outs, Fred in Birch Bay says shout-out, love and support to flood victims, losing their homes, and everyone who reached out with food and shelter over the last couple weeks. Yeah, a lot of flooding here in the Northwest over the last couple weeks. Uh, Shout-out to everybody who has been impacted by that. Uh, We wish you the best, and and hopefully that you're you're safe, you found shelter, and and that everything's starting to go your way here. A lot of craziness with the weather, Mike, over the last couple weeks. Very, it, this I've, year, yeah, so we've seen like the historic weather events all within the span of a couple of weeks. Absolutely. We've seen it really throughout this entire year. There was the huge snowstorm in February. There was the heat wave in June. Uh, you know, smoke season. Uh, oh, yeah, that, that was all this year, season. huh? Wow. Yeah, all of it was in 2021. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long, long year in terms of weather and then just the, the crazy downpour of, of rain over the last couple of weeks. So hopefully everybody's staying safe out there and that we can get some normal weather here the rest of, of 2021. But uh, let's get to some more shout outs here on. Uh, let's see here. Let's get to some shout outs. Mike, who are you shouting out this week for uh, for your shout out? We I don't want to steal yours. Struggle. You don't want to steal mine? I don't know what yours is, but I know you said you had a good one, right? Mike, okay, I'll give you my shout out to lead us off okay. here. And it, it's somebody that uh, got an honor this week that is obviously well deserved. His reputation here in Seattle kind of speaks for itself. Uh, that'd be number 51, right fielder Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, who will be inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame this upcoming summer. Uh, In August, he is obviously a legend in baseball. He's a legend here in the city of Seattle. It's a precursor to the other honors that get bestowed to the all-time greats. Obviously, a jersey retirement will probably follow. His His baseball Hall of Fame induction, I believe, is in 2025, even though he is, we, we don't even know the balloting for that yet. It's safe to assume he will be a close to unanimous vote uh, to the Baseball Hall of Fame. But uh, just his career here in Seattle, unmatched really by anybody in a Mariners uniform. Maybe Ken Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez are the only two guys that can come close to either eclipsing or matching him. Ten gold gloves, ten all-star games, over 3,000 hits in his career. Over 4,000 hits in his career between Japan and the United States. An MVP, a Rookie of the Year, the single-season hit record. I mean, what else can you say about the guy that hasn't already been said? But what a career he had. And and just shout-out to him and shout-out to the Mariners for uh, this honor that they're bestowing upon him. And uh, that's going to be a really fun weekend in the month of August. That will be fun. And I like that uh, it kind of ties in to one of the shout-outs I had. Because who are they playing that weekend? The Cleveland Guardians. Ah. The Guardians, yeah. a new team. So the Cleveland baseball team rebranded. They are uh, the Cleveland Guardians now. So shout out to the Cleveland Guardians. They promptly hung their team sign up yesterday on day one of the franchise outside their new team store with all the new branded they gear. It. And it broke. No. It broke. It fell oh, right no. off the scaffolding, ripped out the side of the building, and shattered on the sidewalk. So shout out Cleveland Guardians. That era is off to a, a good start there. Boy, 
you you wonder if there was like some forces at play there because of Cleveland naming their team the Guardians while definitely knowing about the roller derby team in the city of Cleveland with the same name and just trying to sneak it by everybody in hopes that the roller derby team wouldn't notice. Oh, they noticed. Yeah. And they probably got a nice payment from the Guardians baseball team in Major League Baseball uh, to say, hey, we'll split the team name as long as you just kind of hush down a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe there was uh, some some tomfoolery, I guess, uh, in play there. Maybe a roller some derby team. Yeah, maybe a, a roller derby uh do you call them player athletes? Mm. What do you what do you call a roller Rollers, derby participant? Maybe. Yeah, roller. Rollers. Maybe there was uh, something that went down there with uh, with that sign. Who knows? Some yeah. Now I'm curious. I'm gonna look that up after we're done here. Conspiracy. What what do you call a roller derby player? I'm gonna look yeah. that up. All right. Shout out to the roller derby players. We don't know what they're called, but go. it's funny. I wasn't that wasn't gonna be my first shout out, but uh, I think it, it led together nicely. So it all ties together. But what I was going on. Was uh, now is this protocol? Do I do two in a row, or do you do you go back and forth here? Oh, you can I'll do go. two in okay. a row. I'm gonna I'm gonna go two in a row here. Thank you, if you don't mind, because I'm not usually on here. It's so. a lawless segment. Yeah. you can do whatever you want. Shout out to to lawlessness. Um, shout out to John Buchagross yesterday during the Kraken oh, game. Bucci. So you know, in the third period, the game is well out of reach. He was I, I don't know what they were having fun, and they made the whole broadcast entertaining because when it's seven nothing, you know, it's six nothing, it's seven nothing. You're obviously not dealing with the inner mechanisms of play-by-play. You don't need to narrate every single thing that's happening. The game's out of reach. You can have some more fun. So I don't know the backstory behind this, but they brought in some chicken parm for old Bucci Main, and he was just going to town on it, having fun. And uh, anytime you can incorporate food and broadcasting and sports, I'm a big fan. So shout-out to old uh, John Buchagross there. He is one of the great personalities at ESPN. Uh, and I'm glad that the hockey, well, I mean, he's known in the hockey world. He's been doing a lot of hockey commentary for ESPN during his time there. Uh, and I'm glad now here in Seattle, people are kind of starting to see his personality and just kind of the ambassador for the game that he is. He's appeared on, on 710 a few times over the last couple of months. And every time I've uh, reached out to him to come on, he's always been super gracious about coming on, very accommodating with his time. Uh, in fact, one time I reached out to him, kind of pulling the curtain back a little bit. Uh, he jokingly called Jake and myself, Jake Heaps and myself, a pair of jabronis, which, <laughs> I mean, it's true. We are, and we will gladly wave that banner high. I mean, when I think of the word jabroni, my picture probably right next to it in the dictionary. Uh, but that's the kind of guy John Butchergrass is, somebody that is uh, – a great ambassador for the game of hockey and just a really, really good guy. And uh, I'm glad even in a blowout loss like last night, uh, people were still able to enjoy the broadcast. Hey, Josh in the 206 says roller derbist question mark. Roller derbist. <laughs> okay. I think they're just called skaters. Actually, I was kind of looking around. Oh, yeah, that, that I, sounds right. That makes sense, but that's more fun. Those <laughs> roller derbists. Shout out to Josh in the 206, uh, getting us up to speed on the nomenclature of roller derby, or at least maybe somewhere in the ballpark. Who knows? But uh, that is going to do it for us here today on Seattle Sports Saturday. Make sure you're tuning in to Seattle or to 710 ESPN Seattle all afternoon long. USC UCLA is going to follow us here uh, on 710, and also tomorrow, 10 a.m. pregame show for the Seahawks and Cardinals for that 125 kickoff at Lumen Field. 
You're going to hear it all right here on 710 ESPN. So for Mike Lefko, I'm Curtis Rogers. We will talk to you again on the very next Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.